So, if you could just keep Ephesians 6 open. Um, I'm breaking from John this morning for my message um, because I sense there's like particular darkness all around us at the moment. I don't know if you sense that, um, like the whole of humanity is going off a cliff. So, I just want to speak on this message when, what do we do when everything seems dark? I, I also think, though, there's never been a more exciting time to be part of church um, and the light of the Lord, but I don't want to play down how much difficulty there is in the world at the moment, individually, collectively, nationally, and internationally. And in some versions of this, Ephesians 6, it says, we're in a period of this present darkness. So I don't know if it's worse than ever or, or if we just know of it more than ever. My other concern is that Park End isn't like this fairy tale experience where we just do something strange for an hour, um, almost like for nostalgia, and then we have to go out and face the horrors of the world, and it's utterly different from what we're doing here. The two need to interact. The world is dark. What's our hope? Have we got one? Um, what do you tend to cling to in this dark age? What's your light? Do you have light? Here's another question. What does light look like for you? If you could define what hope and light is, you switch on the news, it's really depressing, or you go in the staff room, it's hard work, or your relationships on a personal level are difficult. What is light for you when all seems dark? And does church have an answer that perhaps could help us in what it looks like and what it is? Now then, you know sometimes when I give sermons and I confuse everybody? Well, I'm going to try and make a case this morning in this message. And there's a few dangers. Number one, I'm going to lose everybody. Number two, it's going to be more of a history lesson as to how we got here in this dark age than more of like a, of a Bible sermon. So if you're new around here, we're usually bigger on the Bible stuff, but there is a fair bit of history in this one. Um, so here we go. I'm going to try and make a case. Individually, internationally, and nationally, there's lots of causes for fear and concern. Would you agree with that? General nods. Yeah, right. Haven't lost anyone yet. Okay. The books I read and the lectures I listen to, um, clever people tell me that the Western world is crumbling. Crumbling. I'm not actually sure that's a bad thing. That's another sermon that we won't go uh, this time. They also say society's morals of the West are capitulating. And I'm not sure that's entirely a bad thing because... Like snooty, snobby moralists, I mean, who wants them around? Like, people want godly love and convictions, but the 20th century, there was a bit of snooty, snobby moralism, wasn't there? So I'm not sure it's entirely bad that all the morals are capitulating. Um, like, mo God doesn't love moral people. That's not the Christian message. Go and be moral and define it in your own little way. So, like, th but they say it's crumbling nonetheless. And I just want to stay on the sort of capitulation of the West for a moment because we say things are getting dark, but in what way? And we need to learn that to maybe think about what light is. Now, 
we're in an interesting period at the moment where we feel things are dark and crumbling around us and so we're fighting for light and principles but it's also the case in the West that we've removed the foundations of what historically our principles and hope and light have been. Forget like the pomp and moral stuff of the 20th century. Before that, there was real grounding in what even secular historians will say, like Christian values and love and ethics. So now there's a wave of people suspended in like, a, without the foundations, because we got rid of church and religion really in the West, but we're like, wait, the world is crumbling and what we've known before, uh, the positive things, we need those back before it all just goes to pot and turning on the news. There's no appreciation that life is sacred or anything. And, but we're also thinking like, but why do we think that? And no one really knows at the moment because we're so utterly secular. So we long for the sacred, but we don't quite know why. And that's a fascinating period in world history. We've erased God, and so the tools that we offer to try and find light in the darkness can only go so far because our whole like Western world was based on something more than just secular. We believed in the sacredity of humanity, and we used to fight for that. So, darkness is sweeping in. Um, there's an interesting book you can read, and it's called um, Remaking the World, How 1776 Created a Post-Christian West. And this book makes the case that we're all here now, worried about darkness, but not quite sure why or what to do with it, because of the year 1776. And something interesting happened in 1776. And to keep you awake, I'll give you five seconds to think about what that was. What happened in 1776? Well, a, a piece of paper was signed. What was it? The Declaration. Dave knows it. I can see Dave mouthing it at the back. The Declaration of Independence signed. And you'll know this statement. We hold these truths to be self-evident that, wow, all men are created equal. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That was signed in 1776. But let me tell you something interesting as I make my case. Thomas Jefferson wrote that draft, okay? But it didn't originally say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all everyone is created equal. Didn't originally say self-evident in Jefferson's draft. He sent the draft to, uh, in late June, to uh, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin put a line through what was originally written, and it became, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Do you know what it originally said? You don't, I'll tell you. It originally said, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. Sacred and undeniable that all men are created equal. Through goes the pen, changes sacred, it becomes self-evident. Now that's no small thing. 
because, and I think there's merit in this argument, we're in a bit of a mess today, and the birth of the mess was that moment. Because the idea that we are sacred isn't just something that Thomas Jefferson came up with in his draft. And the historians trace this point. Um, before that, uh, he got it, that wording and idea from John Locke, who got it from Richard Hooker, all these famous people. Hooker got it from the Code of Justinian in the 6th century, that Christian emperor, who got it from Matthew's Gospel. This idea that humans are innately sacred. Anyway, the pen goes through it, it's self-evident. It's obvious. We don't need, like, the, le, like, let go of all that God stuff, Jefferson. It's self-evident that you're equal to the person next to you. Duh. And so America then bases their values on that. Problem is, it hasn't worked out very well, has it? Like, we literally don't really treat each other as if we're equal, do we? Turn on the news. How's it going? How's it playing out? I'm carrying on with my case, bear with me. Then rose alongside that secular, humanist, like evolutionary accounts of morality and purpose. It all sort of a new light of got defined. The problem is though, if you try to argue humans are innately valuable to each other based on just secular ideas and grading systems, the fact of the matter is none of us are equal. We're not. And you can't use the grading system to say we're equal. It is a fact that in this room some people are fitter than others, not equal. Stronger than others, not equal. More able than others. And so we're in a bit of a pickle at the moment. We're like, why do we think that again? I can't quite remember. Because I think I do think we're equal, but I'm looking around and we're not. This is getting a bit dark and confusing. Why do we believe in light? Anyway, so you turn on the news now. There's butchery, or there's fights in the staff room. There's domestic abuse. And people in this society are asking, what's the answer again? What is the answer? Like, why do we think what we think? Because the foundations are gone, yet we still do believe in equality. And it can't just be like self-evident humanist stuff. I'll tell you some other books as I'm continuing to make my case, so stay awake. Some authors at the moment, non-Christian authors, are making the case that historically, our present values did not come from secular humanism. If you read Tom Holland's book, he does great on saying they did not come from like the 1776 stuff. You don't value people because of that. It cannot come from that system. And if you like philosophy, you can read that these values cannot come. Not only did they did not come, they cannot come from secular humanism. And you can read a guy called Christian Smith. He's got a book, I think it's called um, Atheist Overreach. It's really interesting stuff. One more bit of my case before I do the Jesus thing. Like, to believe in light, help and hope, and why do I, why should I love people? It only works. It only works 
if the person next to you is sacred. Forget secular. It only works. Now, we love in the West certain sacred truths. For example, equality. Why do you want to fight for equality in this age of darkness? Have you ever asked yourselves that? We believe this, I think, that no one is inferior to someone else. I hope you believe that. Do you believe that? Right, just checking. No matter their race or religion or creed or abilities or color, we are innately equal. That's Western belief, but we're not quite sure why we believe it at the moment. We also, in a good society, want to fight for, in this darkness, we want the light of compassion. And we want societies that care for its weakest. And we judge societies on how they best care for the weak. Why? Why do you do that? Why is that belief that the weak are as valuable as the strong. Rome and Greek and Greece did not hold those truths until this Jesus movement arrived. They just didn't. They would obliterate the weak. Why do we in the West? And why are we worried that it's crumbling away? I'm just trying to teach us about what is darkness and light and why do we even feel it? There's also consent. I hope that the males in this room don't think they just have a right to access whoever they desire and do what they please with them. We don't. And societies that have that are monstrous. But why do we think that? Education. Why do we think we should further our ends by persuasion and not brutal force? Why do we think these tropes of the Western Empire are worth keeping? And my last bit of the case, well, I got two tiny bits of this case, um, Secular, humanistic, evolutionary biology cannot logically and consistently say you feel those things because of this system. For example, if we're just blind evolutionary forces, why? How does it then follow that we should all love each other and value each other? Why? It's crackers. Why do we believe in the survival of the fittest? but also then think it's good to treat each other kindly and love one another. That's a hodgepodge of thought, isn't it? It's almost like there's more going on than the humanist account of the world. Why do we sing this song? You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. But yet, all right, maybe we don't sing that one. You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. But that was a massive pop song. But also, we want to fight at the moment in society for... So let's honor one another's sexual boundaries at all times. Isn't that crackers? It doesn't logically follow. And why, and this is the last point in my case, thank you for staying awake, um, not the end of the sermon, just the first case. Why do we love, and even if you're not a Christian, why do you love and think this is light, the Good Samaritan story? Why do you think it's terrible to not stop some, next to someone who needs help from you. You do think that's terrible, and most of you probably would stop. Why? Why do we think that? Why do we think it's bad to walk on by? My friend was preaching in a church the other week, and he was driving to the church, and on the way there was a guy who was about to jump off a bridge and kill himself, right? And he didn't stop. He got to the church, and he said... 
I just went past a guy who was going to jump off a bridge, and I didn't stop. And it was a mixed audience, and he said you could hear a pin drop and a gasp. <gasps> you didn't stop. Horror. Why? Then he goes, but don't worry, I didn't stop because the ambulance and the fire brigade had already shown up. The good Samaritans had already shown up. But at the drop of a pin, you are horrified. And even if you don't stop, you think there should be a society where people are stopping ambulances, fire brigades, good Samaritans. Why do we want those things that mere humanistic worldviews can't account for? This longing that we should love each other and we are equal and we can't just have our way with other people. Why? Well, what's my role in all this this morning? My role as a minister here is to remind a little group of people who are enveloped around with all the darkness that there is a sacred dimension. There is. You know it. My job is just, just to tell you. As the Bible says it. And to fight for it in this secular, crackers, confused age. Now here's the not very long Bible bit. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, in all this strange age, says this. Finally, church, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand on Monday morning. Don't just do the church bit. On Monday morning against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but there's something more going on, everybody, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Dear Park End Church, the age is dark. There is a sacred dimension to humanity, a spiritual dimension. Not only are you to be aware of it and perhaps alert people to some big things that are going on above the secular, but we're supposed to put on the armor of God and be strong in the Lord. See, church isn't supposed to join the secular train for these answers, but to remember the sacred, the godly, and the spirit world. A.W. Tozer says, if a little poodle tries to fight a lion, he's going to be gobbled up, haircut and all. And if we go out there and just join the secular nonsense, we'll be a poodle that gets gobbled up in the darkness. Because the 20th century was the most secular and also the most dark. Secularism just gets gobbled up. Church is supposed to be a poodle that gets its strength and light from an outside source, greater than our own little accounts of what's going on and why. Westminster's not going to do it. The politicians can't even keep their own ideas of what light is. They keep getting busted. It's not changing the human heart. There's too much darkness in here, let alone out there. So the park end message needs to be, what do we do? Be strong in the Lord. The Lord. For your good, 
and for the good of this dark present age. And I'm not doing the sermon on all the bits of armor because there's a few other places where armor is mentioned in the Bible and it chops and changes. It basically means this, truth, righteousness, faith, salvation, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be strong on it, put him on you. And Paul in Ephesians 6, and we're sort of getting to the end, his whole armor thing is taken from a prophecy about Jesus from Isaiah chapter 59. Jesus is the armor of the Lord in the book of Isaiah, and we're to put him on. I'm just going to read it. Listen to this. It could be an account of 2023. Here's a prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah 59, 15 to 19. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So, his own arm achieved salvation for himself, and his own righteousness sustained life. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And then verse 20 says, the Redeemer will come from Zion. Park End Church. Light is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's been light in our world history. He is the one that says you are sacred and that you're to love each other truly. He is the only one that demonstrated it. So put him on and his ways on and tell others about him, the armor of the Lord. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public dis disgrace. That's what he's done to the darkness. We just got to trust in him. And this is my last point. So thank you for staying with me. I'll close with what are we supposed to do and what is it to put on the Lord in this dark age? In short, you're to be like Moses. In Hebrews 11:27, it says this about Moses. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses endured the dark age because he saw him who is invisible. He saw the light, and he walked in the light. Now, in the life of Moses, sometimes the angel of the Lord, the divine one, was very visible. Other times in Moses' life, God was invisible. Sometimes in your life, you may say that you've seen the Lord. Brilliant. Most of you, for the, most of your lives, God is invisible. What did Moses do? He lived as though the invisible God was visible, and that's what we're to do as well. You put the Lord in, on. Some of you are thinking, I can't endure another day. How are you going to get through that? It's too dark. Not by being tough. You get through by seeing him who is invisible. That's how Moses got through. You are to believe that he is with you and guiding you, and he is light and worth obeying. And I'll close with this story. Um, how to live 
for him who is invisible in this dark and evil age. You're to have a good record of light. Live for the light, and may your record be light. The year is 1991. Tonaruin Primary School. A young Owen Batstone is there. I had committed a series of crimes as a six-year-old. My record was dark. On book club day, I remember the teacher gave the magazines out, you got to pick a book and order it. A few weeks later, it would arrive. I wasn't interested in the book. I always wanted the one that came with the dinosaur rubber. You ever have a dinosaur rubber and you get those books? I collected those dinosaur rubbers. Problem is, I also started nicking everybody else's dinosaur rubbers on book day. And then, going from memory, I think I tried to sell them in the playgroup for extra milk, because I like milk. It was a little racket I had. Another time, the teacher said, oh, it, do not touch my sharpener. And she had those big old square metal sharpeners. Do you remember them? I was always fascinated because she'd pull the front out and the thing went inside and she'd wheel the wheel. Don't touch it, Owen. Anyway, she left the room, I touched it. And uh, she came back in the room, I didn't realize. And I pulled the thing out and it slammed back shut because for some reason I was on a spring. I was trying to figure out what was going on. And when the teacher was angry, she said, Batstone in Welsh. Owen Carrig Bat! That's all I remember from that one. Another time, same year, sitting in assembly, there was a girl in front. I stuck chewing gum in her hair. Naughty boy, wasn't I? Problem is, your girl's dad is now an elder in the church around the corner, so we've got to tread carefully, see? <laughs> then one day in a school assembly, whole school was there. The head teacher singled me out because my record was dark. And he gave me a wash bag and pajamas and a teddy bear in front of everyone. He'd probably be arrested for that today, wouldn't he? But he got away with it back then. And he said, you are coming home with me tonight unless you have a good record. You need a record of light because it's dark. And then he vanished into his office. So the visible man suddenly was invisible, but I knew he was still there. And I thought that day, if I don't live like he's still visible with me in this classroom, I'm not going to see my mum again. I'm not going home to my two cats, Tom and Jerry. And even though he was invisible, boy, did I live like he was there. And even though that girl's hair still never looked so squishy that I could just put things in. I didn't do it again. And even though that sharpener looked so fascinating to me, I lived as if he was visible because I need a record of light to shine the light in the darkness. And even though those dinosaur rubbers, they kept arriving, boy, did I want to nick them. I didn't anymore. And I fought against it for a good report. And I lived in the light, because I knew he was visible, though yet invisible. And I tell you what, there's a day coming soon-ish for me. Who knows when? Maybe it'll be a heart attack. I will stand before the Lord, and I'll ask to give, be given an account. I'll be asked to give an account to the one who was invisible 
who has asked me to live as light in this dark present age. And the questions will be, did we live in his light and in his hope when the darkness crept in? The illustration's a bad one because the living God is not like a scary head teacher. He's light, he's life, he's wonderful. And we get to live for Christ, who wasn't secular. He is wonderfully sacred, and we should be too. When all seems dark, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's sing his praises. Amen.